In Jesus' name, amen. When was the last time you had a revelation? When was the last time something that was hidden, uh, something that was darkened or obscured was brought into the light? When was the last time you had the curtain pulled back on some area of your life so that you could see the world as it truly was? Can you remember the last time you had a revelation? Uh, They tend to be memorable, so I think it would stick with you. Uh, uh, Revelations, true revelations are powerful. They have the the power not only to change how we see the world, but also how we interact with it. And their power is twofold. Uh, Some revelations fall into one category. They are the revelations that terrify us. It's when the curtain is pulled back on something in life and we're scared by what we see. Uh, Let me give you an example of that. Uh, I had a terrifying revelation when I was in sixth grade. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was at our school's academic fair, which is kind of like a science fair. And one of my fellow students uh, decided to do a project on hot dogs. Uh, And I can remember him with his cardboard display behind him with all of the students and teachers and parents mingling at the fair. I can remember as he passed out uh, a platter of little mini Franks and then decided to regale us with the ingredient list in one of our favorite foods. And uh, maybe everyone else knew what went into a hot dog and what the process was, but I did not. And let me tell you, it was scary to find out what was in my favorite foods. And life was different after that. I could never look at a hot dog in the same way. It, It didn't stop me from eating them, per se, but maybe I paused for half a second before I shoved it down my mouth or I slathered it with enough condiments to try to hide the idea, forget what it was, all the different parts that I was eating. Some revelations have the power to scare us. But, but then there are the revelations that have the, the power and the ability to free us. Uh, sometimes a revelation, when the curtain is pulled back, it is extremely liberating. Uh, Let me give you an example of that. It might not be perfect, uh, but we'll go with it today. Imagine, if you can, that your finances are a mess. You haven't been keeping track of things. You have no idea where you stand, and you assume, because you don't know what's coming and going and how much you have and where your money is, because you've, you've kind of stopped paying attention to all of it, you assume the worst, so the things can't be good. And, and so one day you decide enough is enough and you sit down and you have your, your credit card statements and your bank paperwork, your, your checkbook there, and, and you finally figure out how much you have and where it is and what's coming and what's going. And, and you have this revelation. You, you see your, your financial world as it is and you realize that the things aren't really as bad as you assumed they would be. Maybe they're not great, but uh, you, you have more than you thought. And, and so you have this freeing revelation that you can, in fact, afford to go out to dinner tonight. That would be a positive, freeing, liberating revelation. Or, or maybe it's the kind of revelation that you might have as, as you have a conversation with a friend from church on your way to your car. And they begin to share with you their own struggles in the faith. They begin to tell you about how uh, they have family problems too, how their kids don't call as often as they would like either. And you have this revelation that there are other people like you, <laughs> that you don't have to wear a facade and act like a, a perfect person, but that it's okay to have questions and doubts and struggles because other people do too. That's uh, a liberating, a freeing revelation when you see the world as it truly is. And, and that's the revelation that we are here to celebrate today on Epiphany. Again, Epiphany is 
as a day of celebrating God's revelation to us, that, that on Christmas God revealed who he is and what he's like, that, that by sending his son Jesus into a manger, God pulled back the curtain on life and, and told us everything we need to know about our God, which is good for us, I think, to have that revelation because most of us have a whole lot of questions about God and maybe for God. Uh, we have the really big abstract questions about God, like who is he? What, he, what is he like, what are his qualities, what are his characteristics? Can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? I know you've all wondered something like that, haven't you? There are the big and the abstract questions, and then there are the more personal questions we have for God, like, like where do we stand with him? What does he think about us? Has he forgiven us for the thing we did? last month, last year? Does he really love us like he says he does? And you see, on on Christmas, we get our answer through God's revelation to so many of those questions. On on Christmas, God showed us who he is. He, He showed us that he's a personal God. In fact, he's so personal that he became a person. He took on flesh and blood and bones and he had a name. His name is, is Jesus. On Christmas, God revealed to us his qualities and his characteristics that he's a God of simplicity and humility born in a humble manger bed lying in a bed of hay. On on Christmas, we receive the answer to many of those deep personal spiritual questions that get down to the heart of our souls. The the questions like, what does God think of me? Where do I stand? How does he feel about me? Well, on Christmas, we have our revelation. We have a God who loves us, who loves us so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to win us to himself. A God who was willing to be born into that manger. A God who was willing to be mocked and ridiculed throughout his life, who would go to a cross, be killed and crucified. That's how much your God loves you. That's what he thinks of you. On Christmas, we have received our revelation. That's what we're here to celebrate today. Uh, and yet, uh, we also recognized today in our reading, especially the reading from Matthew chapter 2, that we're not the only ones who have received a revelation on Christmas. Uh, today, we read about the Magi. Now, uh, some of you were here for our final midweek Advent service a couple Wednesdays ago, and we talked a whole lot about the Magi that day. And so, uh, we won't go over that whole sermon again. But I, I know many of you weren't there. And, and so that day we, we talked about some of the misconceptions surrounding the Magi. Uh, for example, they are often referred to by a couple different names. Sometimes they're called the Three Kings. Uh, but we don't know actually if there were three of them and they most certainly were not kings. No, they were Magi. Uh, they're often referred to sometimes as well as, as uh, wise men, but we were reminded that day that they were not particularly wise, as our story today kind of reminds us. No, these were magi. These were foreign pagan practitioners of the occult. They were non-Jewish men who studied and worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. That was their religion. And yet it was these foreign pagan practitioners of the occult that God drew from a long distance away that he he dragged through hundreds, thousands of miles on their journey to bring them to the manger so that he could reveal himself in all of his love and all of his mercy to them. He wanted these most unexpected, the least likely of people to be some of the first ones to ever receive that revelation. He wanted them to leave behind the sun and the moon and the stars so that they could see God for who he truly was, Jesus. 
And I think it is in that revelation to the Magi that we receive another revelation. <laughs> they just keep on coming today. Because in, in that revelation to the Magi, we, we learn something else about God. We see that God is truly for all people. That no one is too far gone. That, that no one is out of bounds. No one has wandered too far away from him. But, but that he truly wants the most unlikely, uh, the, 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 the people we would least expect to come and see him. He really is for all people. And, and that did not stop with the Magi. God didn't stop drawing and calling people to, to see him and, and who he was 2,000 years ago. It continues to happen today. Uh, in fact, I was reading a little article this week. I don't remember which Lutheran magazine it was in. Uh, but it was about a Lutheran church in India. And uh, the name of the church was Zion Lutheran Church. And the article said that something really baffling has been happening at Zion Lutheran Church in India recently. And that is that every day of the week, it seems, but especially on Fridays, hundreds, sometimes thousands of Hindu Indians are making a pilgrimage to pray and worship at Zion Lutheran Church. And uh, as the article said, no one really has a good explanation for why this is happening. Uh, the, the pastor, when asked, you know, why are these Hindu pilgrims coming to a, a Lutheran Christian church uh, to worship and pray to Jesus, of all people? And, and he didn't have a great explanation. He didn't know how it started and where all these people were come from. Uh, there, there's a lot that we don't know. What, what we might be able to assume is that if those Indian Lutherans are anything like American Lutherans, they probably had some, some questions, right? Like, what are these people doing here? <laughs> why are they invading our church what are their true intentions in coming here? Uh, those are questions, though, that we don't have the answer to. What I think we, we can be sure of, what we see happening, though, is, is God, like the Magi, is continuing to draw these outsiders, maybe some of the people we would least expect, to come and see him for who he is. He's bringing them to a place, Zion Lutheran Church, where, where they can see that, that they have a God named Jesus, a God who loved them so much that he would die for them and rise for them so that, so that they might have eternal life. That, that work of God of calling and drawing people so that he might show himself in all of his splendor and glory continues to happen today. And, and the really cool thing about it is that he continues to use you as a part of the process. God has recruited you to an important position. You are the, you are the stagehand that he has recruited to pull on the rope that opens the curtain so that Jesus can be seen by the world. You, in many ways, are like that star that he put in the sky for the magi that drew the people, the, the three men, to the birth of their Savior. You're not the star of the show, but you are the one that God is using to call and draw people to himself so that he can show the world who he is and what he's like. And, and the thing about it is I, I know that that can be scary and overwhelming. Anytime we talk about sharing our faith or witnessing to Jesus, talking about him to, to outsiders, to magi or, or to Hindus, uh, we, we might feel overwhelmed. We might think that we're unprepared, that we're not ready, we don't know what to say. Sometimes we feel like maybe we're, we're being too pushy, we're moving too fast. Others of us might feel like maybe we're not being pushy enough. We, we need to be more confident and bold. We just need to get out there. But whatever it is, we're doing it wrong. And, and I know this can be overwhelming. And so I want to leave you with one, one piece of encouragement as we end our time today. And that is... Uh, 
God doesn't call you to save anyone. Uh, this is his work from start to finish, first of all. But, but also the power in this, your power in, in being a part of God's plan does not come from your perfection. Uh, God didn't choose you to be his stagehand that pulls on the string that opens the curtain. He didn't set you in the, the sky as his star because you were perfect, because you had the perfect words to say as you witnessed, because you had crafted the, the perfect uh, argument or dialogue to share with unbelievers. He didn't choose you because you had the perfect life that would so perfectly display his love. No, no. in fact, I, I believe it is often, I find this to be true. I, I find that it is our greatest witness our greatest witness is often found in our weirdness. Now, I'll explain that, but let me ask you first, what is it that makes you weird? Because I know there's something. Uh, there's something for each of us. Some of us have a few more weird things than others, uh, but all of us have something that's weird about us. In fact, if you're thinking, well, I don't, can't think of anything that's weird about me, that's probably what makes you weird. <laughs> Uh, because most of us have a, a number of things that make us weird. Uh, my wife could tell you about many, many things, weird things that I do. I'll, I'll share just one with you. Uh, uh, every day for the past eight years or so, I have eaten the same exact thing, more or less, for breakfast. Uh, I have never gotten tired of it. Uh, I don't do it because it's convenient or because I'm lazy or not creative. In fact, uh, many e- evenings I dream of waking up and having my morning smoothie. Uh, I, I just love it, and I've had it for years now. In fact, if I don't have it in the morning because we're traveling or our routines are thrown off, I tend to get crabby by lunchtime. And if I don't have it for breakfast, I'll then have it for lunch. It's this weird smoothie with 30 ingredients. It takes me 20 minutes to make, all sorts of powders and tinctures. My wife thinks I'm crazy. It's weird that I do this, uh, but I, I know there's weird things about you. Some of you I know might do something really weird around 4 o'clock this afternoon. You're weird because you're going to be yelling at your TV screen during the Bears game (laughs) as if the players can hear you. You'll be shouting, run the ball, get out of bounds, throw it farther, right? That's weird that you do that. Or, Or maybe you do that really weird thing, this is really weird, where you put ketchup on your hot dog. In fact, that's not weird, actually. That's just wrong. Please don't do that. <laughs> you live in Chicago, for goodness sake. Or, or maybe you have any number of, of weird things about you. Maybe you have a weird habit of smiling or laughing at the most inappropriate of times. You know, you're in a hospital room and you should be somber and serious and yet some coping mechanism inside of you causes you to smile and you can't explain it. It's weird. We all have something weird. And, and the truth is that it is that weirdness about us which God can often use as our greatest witness. And here's why. Uh, if we're willing to, to open up the curtains on our own lives, if we're willing to reveal a little bit of who we are and, and some of that weirdness, God can often use that to draw and call people to himself so that he might reveal himself. If we can pull back the curtain a little bit, then, then we might provide the opportunity for someone to look at us and say, you know what, if, if God can love someone like her in all of her weirdness, then maybe he can love me. Or if, if God accepts him and has forgiven him as weird as he is, then, then maybe he will forgive and, and welcome me in too. Uh, sometimes it's just our weirdness which provides an opportunity to make a connection with someone who's just as weird in the same ways as we are. And, and that provides an opportunity to talk, for a relationship to be born, so then we can pull on the string and the curtain can be opened and voila, Jesus will be revealed in all of his love. It's not our perfection which is our power, but very often our greatest witness is found 
and our weakness and our weirdness. So brothers and sisters, we're here today to celebrate Epiphany, the the day that God revealed himself to the Magi and to us. We're here to celebrate that on Christmas, God showed us who he is and what he's like, that he is a personal God, so personal that he became a person, that he took on flesh, that he's a God of, of simplicity and humility, that he's a God of love after what he did. Of course he loves us. On Christmas, he reveals that that he's forgiven us and loves us with that everlasting love. And just like with the Magi, people across the world today, he continues to reveal himself to all people and he uses us as important parts in that plan. And praise be to God that he has. In Jesus' name, amen.